Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman. And oh my golly. (laughs) So our guest here today, I met him when I was in Austin for South by Southwest. And I think we met sort of in a a back storage office (laughs) area for a restaurant that was not yet open. And um, he showed me a thing we're going to be talking about, about mental health mise en place. And I was so just uh, entranced by the way that he talked about self-care and working behind the bar and taking care of yourself while you're doing that and taking care of the people around you. So Paul Finn of Garage Bar and Commodore, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Okay. So make sure I got the laundry list of the places that you, what is your title for these places? So uh, for Garage Cocktail Bar in downtown Austin, I'm the general manager and beverage manager. Oh, okay. An occasional bartender. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, for Comoda Restaurant in downtown Austin, I am the beverage manager. And you just opened very recently. Yeah. Back in April. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've been hearing incredible buzz. So I was there before y'all opened and I was actually doing a podcast that I think we'll probably release all of these together with Philip Spear. Yes. uh, you know, we were having a pretty intense conversation yeah. about um, sobriety and working in the industry and the challenges uh, behind that when you are, are, you know, working in an industry and a city that's very about party, 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 mm-hmm. and it's easy to get out of, of check. So you've developed, let's get into it, you developed this system. Can you tell tell us why you did this? Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, like I've, I've worked in bars, restaurants for a long time. Uh, How old were you when you started? I was 15 when I had my first uh, <laughs> busser job at a seafood restaurant in Leonardo, New Jersey. Did you just know it was for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I need a job over there. Yeah, it, it was a means to an end for a, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a musician as well, so for a while there oh, I, I didn't was... know that. Yeah, so I was a traveling touring musician in a couple of bands for a while there. And, uh, you know, working in a restaurant or a bar is a much easier way to, you know, go on tour for a couple months, come back and still have your job or get a, get a new job. Um, so for a long time, honestly, like being in the industry was just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the social aspect of it. I enjoyed the energy of it. Um, but it really for a long time, uh, was a means to an end. So I could be a musician and and tour and then work on records and stuff like that. Um, at a certain point, like with many of us in industry, just, it kind of just settled in. Like I really enjoyed what I'm doing and I'm really good at it. And maybe this is my main career. (laughs) Yeah. And not just the, the side kind of thing. I mean, Growing up, did you know that you, I think a lot of people don't necessarily, who who don't know the industry, they think, oh, you can be a chef as a career, and they don't know front of house for the beautiful profession that mm-hmm. it is, where it's, you. Uh, some people go about it because it is a means to an end, you, you know, everybody needs a roof over their house, but yeah. it's a calling. Mm-hmm. It is a, such a unique job. I mean, and I think... A lot of what we do in restaurants in the front of house in particular is a lot of it's kind of invisible. Yeah. Um, the the duck, the swan. The <laughs> yeah. Right. So like it, it is a performance. That's why like actors and musicians take to the, the job so well, because mm-hmm. it is a performance. But to give a good performance, it has to be genuine, mm-hmm. you know, and this kind of leads into why I did start the music plus thing. I was thinking about how working in the front of the house of a bar or restaurant was a lot like method acting mm-hmm. um, where you're acting, but it's coming from a genuine place. And the question became in my mind, like, so every day you have people come to work and maybe they're happy, maybe they're sad, maybe they're depressed, maybe their friend just died, um, maybe they just broke up with their significant other, like a host of things. But once the curtains are open and the, the lights dim, you know, like you 
you're you're being you're on stage, right? So how do you get to that place you need to be? That's yes. So I I've talked a lot with people in the beverage industry about this because you, if you're a chef, you can be having a bad day and you can you can hide in the back and you can be cursing your head off and you can yeah. so long as you get your job done. But you know when I when I started sort of talking to people about mental health, um, I, I was mostly focused on on chefs and stuff. And then it wasn't until really I got to Tales of the Cocktail year before last that I realized that's the great tension in the industry that difference between how you're feeling and who you have to be for everybody else, and that's exhausting. It yeah. seems yes, indeed, and and not only to the guests but to each other uh, yeah. as a manager to your staff, um, as a bartender or server to the rest of your staff or your manager. Um, there's a lot of layers to it, and you have to be able to function and do work that can be intense and, mm-hmm. and complex. You have to be able to know history and be able to describe dishes and describe drinks. You need to make drinks quickly and accurately and make delicious drinks. You need to be creative on the spot, um, all with you know a sense of ease and charisma. Um, and you have to, you know, they say one of the things that struck me is like they always say like, don't bring your personal life life to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still a person. But you do. I mean, what that really means is just kind of keep it to yourself. If you're not bringing your personal life to work, you're not bringing yourself to work. Yeah. Yes. You know. What I so my thing was like, how do you allow yourself to be fully, genuinely who you are, but control it in a way that makes sense for the performance for the job? And that was what's made me think of, of method acting about how like like that. You snap too, and, and you're that that character, and you just, you know, a, a method actor or an actor does not want to waste re- reels of film. They don't want to be the person on set that the lighting people are waiting on, and, and the director of photography is waiting on, and the other actors, right? They want to just nail their performance. So there's a lot of intensity and pressure to perform. And working in a restaurant or bar is the same because the camera's always rolling. It doesn't cut mm-hmm. away from you. Um, so everything you do, whether it's you need to hydrate or use the bathroom or check in on your child, you know, make sure they're okay, uh, has to be done in such a way where, where you don't break that illusion of that, like, I tell myself all the time, you know, the guests want to think we're superhuman. Mm-hmm. They don't want to think that we get sad or that we have to eat food, or that we might be hungry, hungry or hangry um, or might have personal problems. And, and they shouldn't because the thing is, when, any guest that comes into a restaurant or bar is an opportunity for us to give compassion yes. and hospitality to people You're feeding people and yeah. all the ways that that means yeah exactly the golden rule of hospitality is like it's so important especially in this day and age there's so much stress in the world so mm-hmm. the bar or the restaurant becomes a safe haven you know and so when they come in i want the guests to feel safe and feel happy and and to do that we can't let them be aware of our problems yeah so how do we do that like well how do we how do we do that how do we how do we control that and what I came up with is that there needs to be structure to it. Yes. There needs to be training to it. And this, these are things you don't generally train for. You know, I can train you to make a really good drink really fast. I can train you points of service and all that stuff. But training um, control of emotions and control of personality is, is something we don't really get. It's heavy lifting, too. I think there is yeah. short shrift given to emotional labor. And I know people think, oh, that's a funny buzzword or whatever. No. No, having to be on... It saps your battery, and especially mm-hmm. if if you're somebody like me who's an ambivert, <laughs> so I can be you know super extroverted, and then I need to go and plug in and change you know charge my battery by being alone or just with my husband and mm-hmm. or you know dogs or with sort of people I've designated as sort of like safe um, to to do that for a while because uh, it really it takes a lot. Yes, it does. It really does. And and like I said, you know, um, maybe. 
you know, it, it's it's hard to, to to push that down, and and I just wanted to create a system to help, you know, people, and specifically people in bars, restaurants, but really anyone in, in general, because, and we, I love structure, <laughs> I love yeah. charts, I love sheets, I love spreadsheets. This all is that why stuff. you're a good GM. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I love applying that stuff, you yeah. know, to the bar and, and to the restaurant, and having charged for everything, and so you know exactly how much citrus to prep, so you don't waste any, and and people love that too. They like structure, mm-hmm. like being told what they need to do so they just go in and they crush it in a short amount of time um so i want to apply a kind of a similar thing to what we're talking about like a, a emotional mental wellness so what i started the sort of like um light bulb moment was i was i was i think i was like maybe training like a new staff person mm-hmm. on mise en place and they're like well, i never even heard that word before and so i explained the history of it where it comes from and what it means you know everything in its place and everything in its right place and that you know, it was a tradition within kitchens and mostly chefs. Um, but now it's something you find very much in the front of the house and, and especially bartenders. And I was saying how nothing, everything in, in your amusement place has a purpose, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't waste space. There's yeah. Kitchens and bars are tiny. Right. You can't waste space. Things need to be fresh. So you don't want to have too much. You, might, you need mint. You don't want too much mint because it might go bad. But, and you don't, if you want, you know, lemons, do you need lemon wedges and wheels? <clears throat> One or the other or both. But if you don't need it, you don't have it. Like everything makes sense, everything's perfect. It's always full. It's always beautiful. Um, it's an extension of yourself. What your tools are, you know, what's on the left, what's on the right, within reach, where your ice sits. Everything needs to be perfect so that when you're busy, the muscle memory kicks in, and you don't need to think when you reach your arm to the left, that's where my spoon is. When I reach my arm to the right, mm-hmm. that's where my mixing glass is. When I reach down, you know, this, this bottle's here and this bottle's there. I don't need to look at it. I just grab it and. That's how you can be very, very fast as a bartender and and it's accurate and consistent. And I was thinking how, like, I was explaining mise en place, but in the back of my head I'm thinking about other things because I know, like, you know, there's so I was having some uh, emotionally a bad day and I know someone else on staff had, had something happen that was uh, stressful. And I'm describing mise en place and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, wouldn't it be great if we could apply mise en place to ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's my toolkit for being a person today. Yeah. <laughs> And I said to myself, well, let me think about that. What is in my mise en place, you know? And, like, a really um, sort of low-hanging fruit, for instance, is, like, at the time I was smoking, I've, like, wrestled on and off with smoking cigarettes for years and would go a long time without doing it. And then suddenly that day where it was just so stressful, I just needed to escape from the world. So I'd go and, and, uh, and have a cigarette, which, you know, a large part of me does not want to do, and I know yeah. how bad it is for my body. But I started to look at it like kind of objectively and breaking it down and thinking like, well, it's not that clear cut. There are good and bad things to things we do. The important thing is why am I doing it? Why is mm-hmm. why are cigarettes in my mise en place? And I thought to relieve stress. And then I thought, is it relieving my stress? No, because then you're cause, because <laughs> you're spending mental energy on beating yourself up about wanting a cigarette. Right. So there's a price to be paid. And then I thought to myself, okay. If I remove that from my mise en place, what do I need to put in there to replace it? Because yeah. if you take something out, something has to replace it. it. Has to be a balance. So, because otherwise, there's nothing there to cope with the stress. And like just being in a bar restaurant environment, what's five feet behind you? Delicious spirits. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right there, arms right length. Right there, arms length. <laughs> and, and your body, you can know what it is without even having to yeah. look. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it it depends on the bar and and the time and place. But obviously, like. Drinking in a bar while at work can be, you know, from the spectrum of not allowed ever, mm-hmm. which is currently how my bar and restaurant is, to, you know, 
toast at midnight, you know, to give ourselves a, you know, a little cheers and to like, yeah, if you need to get through the shift by, by, by drinking, do it, do what you need to do, mm-hmm. get through it. You know, I mean, I've even heard stories, not at a place I worked of like when in, in a back house, when the kitchen just got so busy, the, the chef would just bring out drugs and be like, do this really fast. Whoa. We get to it. We got to get through this. Wow. You know? That's a, that's a um, human toll right there. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's awful to think about that. Like these are things done for practical reasons, right? Yeah. Like we need to get through this. We need to do a good job. We're, 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 we're so far in the weeds. We just need to do something to get us from point A to point B. And then at the end of the night, we can say we did a good job. Um, and so the culture of restaurants and bars tends to gravitate in many ways ways towards that kind of spectrum of mm-hmm. like what do we need to cope to get through this is a stressful job it's hard it's busy um i don't have health care insurance i've not been to a doctor in years like yeah. i only go when i'm so far gone that I'm, I'm like injured or so sick that i need medication you know don't so much use preventative care um because largely you don't get health care in restaurants and bars they do at your bar right? we do it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so at, at garage bar and Commodore restaurant, we we do provide full healthcare benefits and, and a good package to our full time employees. That's, and we'll we'll unpack that in a bit. Sure. But I want to keep going on the the mise en place. Yeah. So, so it becomes if you remove the easy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. the the alcohol and the, the ext- drugs, it's like bringing something external into your body. Is yeah. That kind of. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. So you've put it in your mise en place. So if you take it out, what are you putting there instead? I didn't have an answer for it. It took me months and months to come up with an answer. And the thing is, like. I started like making these little charts, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, what I started doing was like, okay, I need to kind of like, this is not going to come to me easily. This is going to take time to develop. Um, and one of the things that also kind of helped kickstart it was when um, last July, Damon from Grand Army and the Speakeasy podcast came into my bar and I had never met him before. I knew who he He's was. Great. <laughs> He's such a great dude. And uh, we just hit off so well and we started talking about healthcare and hospitality and, and the things we're talking about right now and just really like, you know, just had a, had a lot, had a great conversation about it. And that again, sort of helped me sort of like formulate my thoughts. And he's like, well, you just come on the speakeasy and, and we can talk about this stuff. Yeah. I was like, okay. Um, he's really articulate about it. He's very articulate. And he's also very open yeah. um, and really open-minded and, Hugely. and, you know, being um, vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, within this industry is another thing that's not generally rewarded. I, I f- do you feel like that's changing a, a little bit? I, I just, you know, my perspective on it has has been, you know, I was always a cocktail f- fiend and set from sort of late 90s onward. But then in the, you know, as a food journalist, I'd mostly been focused on on chefs and stuff. So I'd fallen away from it just mm-hmm. uh, like a little bit. I think I also got turned off by kind of the douchery <laughs> of some of it. It was yeah. driving me crazy. Um, it's like, it, it's, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a facet of the industry that drives me kind of crazy. But uh when I got sort of reinvolved with Tales of the Cocktail, because um, you know Caroline Rosen, who runs it, is a, is a very dear friend, and I was able to go last year and this year and have you know sessions with people talking about mental health kind of stuff. But I, I saw this sort of shift in it um, when I went down there the previous year. It was not long after um, Anthony Bourdain's suicide. And um, the death of John LeMayer mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and I know that not necessarily related or, or anything like that, but still like a loss in the industry. Yeah. And I saw sort of a deep split down the middle, like even just there at Tails. 
there were a lot of people who sort of had this moment of like, hey, whoa, 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 you know, let's let's stop at stop and take a moment and process and figure out what we're going through. We are we're taking care of everybody else, you know, let's take care of ourselves and each other. Yeah. And the rest of the people are like, ooh, party, party, party. You know, and but I felt like the conversation has shifted in a really meaningful way over the past, especially year. Um mm-hmm. people die all the time. Yes. All yes. the time. Yeah. And I, I can't even, I start, I was counting at one point after, after Tony and I know he and John were like within days of each other yeah. I bet, or maybe even the same day or something like that. Um, but like right then I started counting at one point and I lost count after like two dozen and it's all in all different things from suicide to people drinking themselves to death to yeah. other kinds of things. And, and people don't have the mental health care. Yeah. They don't have the physical health care to, yeah. you know, get through any of this kind of stuff. And I, so I feel like it has to open up, but you're on the front lines there and you know that people yeah. are not there's still a big boundary. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it has changed a lot. It's changing very drastically. I mean, I went to Tales this year. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever gone. I've been wanting to go so for a I'm so happy you were there. I know. <laughs> when so you came in, you. I was so glad. <laughs> I know. We just entered on the street. It was great. Um, but I I mean, there was wellness workshops, and there was yoga, yeah. and there was AA meetings. and it, Yeah. So the, definitely. I did Narcan training the year before. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah they were doing bystander training yeah. and stuff, which was was really, and like really, you know, tremendous. I know that there was, a, that was a big shift to turn around Tales of the Cocktail, because yeah. like they had had a lot of really, really ungood stuff, um, mm-hmm. and deaths, and, sure. you know, and abuse yeah. and all this kind of stuff. But in the past, you know, a couple of years, they've really started putting, um, I think next year, they're going to actually bring all the wellness stuff, because it's. It's right now in the New Orleans Athletic Club, yeah. and you know it's a few blocks away. But I think they're bringing it on premises next year, which is yeah. really great. So That's you great. can do all that stuff. And so don't, don't make it any harder because people, <laughs> people are already nervous about it. You know, yeah, because um, it's scary to walk into a room and be vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, I had um, the year before I I had six chairs set out. I didn't know if anybody was going to come. Or, or not. Um, my husband was there with me, and I had uh, I had a couple ringers in yeah. there because I had Abigail Gello and Souther Teague there as yeah. sort of ringers for me because they've been wonderful about this. We had six chairs, and I was like, whoever is going to show up, if two people show up, that's fine. We kept making the circle bigger till there were 26 chairs wow. in that circle, and people were scared to walk in there, and some mm-hmm. people walked in alone, some people walked in. They're like, I'm bringing you. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But they were talking, and it was really meaningful to me. Yeah. It's special. Yeah, it's hard to do that. And the 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 one we did this year, yeah, and I was... walked in like feeling kind of like, oh my god, I don't even know if I'm, I'm just gonna like <laughs> not say a word, you know. Uh, I was so happy that, but I, and immediately you walk in, there's you know people who are working on different kind of projects and yeah. stuff, and people being really vulnerable yeah. about it, and you know holding hands and and crying, and you know it was it was it meant a lot. It was a smaller group, but it was the group who I think really needed to be there. Absolutely, except for that woman woman who kind of came in off the street. It was like <laughs> trying to. We're all being like super emotional, and she's like bringing up something that has nothing to do with yeah, this. She, and, she had anger and that's when she needed to. Uh, <laughs> she, well, she, she had actually done that the year before too. Okay. <laughs> it was, it was, that was yeah. not my first encounter with her. Um, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, but you're trying, so you have all this stuff and you're starting to come up with a system yeah. of like how this, this can work. You're thinking me and plus and thinking like what's in it for the day. So then how did this take shape for you? So now like after meeting Damon and deciding I would go on the podcast, and talk about, it, I had a timetable. Yeah. Right. And that podcast ended up being more about healthcare, and and that was fine because I I wasn't I gave myself like a, a deadline of I need to have this figured out by then yeah. so I could talk about it, and I, I didn't. It took longer than that, and that's fine because it, it took the time needed. But it it definitely had me thinking about it every day and working on it. And mm-hmm. what I started doing was I started with 
making a list of everything I did in the day from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed um, every day for several weeks. And that's a real accountability thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Really basic, simple stuff. It wasn't like paragraphs or anything. It would just be like, woke up at, you know, 8 a.m., brushed teeth, got ready between this time. Do you write this longhand or do you put it in your phone or how do you do uh, it? I, I wrote it longhand. Okay. I'm I, a longhand person myself. I, I have bad handwriting too, so I can just like Same. <laughs> um, but what I started to see was patterns. Um, and also the accountability thing was also the thing that struck me was like, okay, I don't want to write that I did this. But you got to do need, it. <laughs> I need to. Um, but I started thinking of it as like, you know, detach myself from it personally and just think of it almost like an anthropologist and just record the data. You know, take the emotion out of it. Just record the data. Um, another thing I, I thought about was I'd gone to the doctor recently and I was having some some back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Professional hazard, definitely. Yeah. And I was just convinced that I had like I, mean, I, I do have some legitimate back issues like um some arthritis, but um, yeah. I was convinced like I'd seriously hurt my back because yeah. it hurt so bad. And I went to several oh, doctors. I got so x-rays, all that. Back stuff is so debilitating. I've had yeah. to deal with that. And it just makes you think like, oh my God, is this how it's going to be the rest of my life? Yeah. And I was going to be in pain all the time. And the doctor, they did every test they could. And at the end of it, the doctor said, um, I can't find anything wrong with you. I think this is um, a manifestation of anxiety. Wow. And I did not like hearing that. Yeah. I wanted you know, a physiological answer to my question. I was already in therapy. I've been in therapy for a couple of years. Um, I didn't realize, I knew I had anxiety. Yeah. I know some I dealt with daily, but I did not realize that it could have such an intense physical manifestation. Let's talk about that for a second yeah. because I, you know, <laughs> you know that I'm an anxiety person. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, Having to, you know, when I, when I wrote my book, I had to be really honest with myself about mm-hmm. like, what are the manifestations of this? How has it changed throughout my life? Uh, you know, and what are the things that I thought maybe attributed it to something else? And now I'm like, oh no, no, that was really anxiety the, the whole time. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, it was, it was shaking hands and my stomach was always really bad. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, it's much more muscular. It's exhausting yeah. being an anxious person. It is. People have no idea like how because you know we at least for me i clench everything i yep. clench my muscles i clench my jaw that's oh, yeah. a bad one mm-hmm. neck back um yeah. and i wait and, and i and i lose sleep yeah anxiety hurts it really hurts and it oh really and does. i pick my skin too yeah and yeah, the I, inside of my mouth i yeah i bite the inside of my mouth um as a bartender it's hard too because like there's nights where i'm like i can't even shake another drink i'm so tense my muscles are so mm-hmm. tense and sore that like i'm done like i can't even yeah. shake more drinks and i've got like 200 more to make so oh gosh so it can be debilitating and when that when the the work is so physical so i went to the doctor and i didn't like his answer but he would he was asking me questions like when did this start and i was like uh two days two months ago two years ago i, I don't know <laughs> it's hard yeah and every question he had i had no answers for it. so like i was not helpful to him as a patient and so i started to realize like record that stuff so i'd write yeah. like tuesday like back started hurting you know headache um, cut my finger, whatever. I, I was recording all that data and just seeing like patterns emerge, um, mm-hmm. seeing where like, and then what I started doing, it was just kind of messy, didn't have a structure. Mm-hmm. And then I started separating it with like, you know what, I'm gonna have a daily intention and then list yes. my days, you know? And then it got a little simpler with what I was recording because I found like, you don't need to record everything, you know? Breathe 37 times. <laughs> yeah, and but still like it just was a little bit of a mess and I was having a hard time organizing it. And this is kind of funny and nerdy, but um, I was cleaning out my clo- – I was organizing my closet um, 
and me and my wife just bought a house a couple years ago outside Austin. Congratulations. Thank you. That's huge. <laughs> it is. And so like finally boxes I've carried around and moved. Like yeah. I've moved like so many times. Oh, so many same. states. <laughs> I've lived in North Carolina, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey again, New York again. I've lived in uh, Chicago. So Texas now. So I've been carrying boxes with me that I haven't opened in like 20 years. Oh, my, my basement. Oh, God. Yeah. We moved into our place like 14 years ago, and it's stuff that I kind of crash landed there with. I haven't opened those boxes that whole time. Yeah, yeah. I dread I it. I so dread it. Oh, we, yeah. And we rent, so someday we're not going to. So now that I own, I was like, well, I can finally open those boxes. And of course, as you'd expect, there was a lot of embarrassing stuff in there, and there's yeah. there some really cool stuff in there. Terrible old poetry? Uh, yeah, oh, lots. Yes. Lots of terrible poetry. Um, but I, I found a box that was like all my old like Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I was like, you know, getting a kick out. So I was looking through it. And uh, I have kids now. I'm like, well, maybe they'll like this. I'll hold on to this. They might yeah. like to what are What are your levels on various things? Are you chaotic? Like, yeah. I think I'm probably like lawful good. Yeah, I, I want to be more outrageous than that, but I'm totally not. I think I would be chaotic good. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I, I think that works in hospitality. Yeah. You have to be slightly that. Um, but uh. The, the character record sheets, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but it's oh, yeah. where you oh, what we're talking about, oh, yeah. like your hit points and your scores. <laughs> and it's all, it's basically like a, a sheet, for people who haven't seen it, it's like a two-sided a two, two sheet that like lists like all of your attributes as, as the character. Again, mm -hmm. getting back to like role playing and yeah, being strength character. Strength and... <laughs> strength and dexterity and constitution. Yeah. And, you know, the history of what kind of things you've done. So I looked at that, I was like, this makes sense, this makes sense. Like, this should be, this should be my format for making my mise en place sheet. Um, not the same, obviously, yeah. but it gave me like a jumping oh off point. To be like, okay, I need like boxes and, and, uh, you know, and different, you know, I, the, it kind of helped me sort of categorize like what the different things I was trying to record were. So like, oh, that's so smart. Um, I love this. I'll, I'll, I'll we have a visual aid here. By the way, do you know the, um, the, the team from the double down in Las Vegas? No. They're hardcore D and D players, oh, cool. and yeah, and so they kind of have a, a league there. Yeah, I kind of awesome. want this like interbar like D and D league. I know I've been like you know I've been like talking about that with staff for years and never actually done. Oh it, my gosh! But... So if you go to Vegas, <laughs> ask go to go to the bar, ask for butters, yeah. like, and they'll see if it's a That's game awesome. day. I, I, they'll do like campaigns till Esther weekend. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I have, really I have cool. a friend who plays with them. I love it. I love it. Um, but it, it obviously oh hold it up to the camera if you don't for, oh, yeah, for sure. people who are uh, watching this on uh, on camera it's amazing <laughs> so if uh, you want to explain yeah. it to people so who are listening <laughs> personal amusement plus the date vital information it starts with the first category is sleep and then there's a box there's several boxes like for the length of sleep the quality of sleep dreams that can be yes or no and then just oh, general wow. notes um, and that's just a way to say how how many hours of sleep did I get was it good quality did I have any dreams? If I did, were they notable? Do I remember anything? And then just general notes, like, mm -hmm. you know, I slept on a couch, I slept in my bed, I slept, you know, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, moved like, from the couch to the bed. I woke up a lot, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And then, so you kind of record that. And then the next category down is food. It's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and water. And you're just recording, like, what you had and when you mm -hmm. had it. Um, sometimes you're going to see breakfast never checked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those things start to, you know, see patterns. Yeah, since um, I don't work at a breakfast website anymore, my, that isn't going checked less for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that's one I've, and this recording this and seeing breakfast missing mm -hmm. week after week after week was like, I need to work on that, you right. know? Um, then you start seeing it pop up a little bit more to eventually it's like every day. Mm -hmm. So, and then the next, uh, category is physical exercise. So there's stretches, strength training, cardio, core, and other. Um, and again, just to be able to, keep track of what exercise you're doing, if any, mm -hmm. uh, what you need to work on. Um, next is mental exercise. Mm -hmm. So what does that count as? 
Mental exercise would be things like meditation, mm. reading, and this learning. This is my second day of meditation. That's awesome. I just started yesterday. Yeah, it's all very new. <laughs> that's exercise for for your for your spirit, right? Yeah. Um, cardio, core, other, you know, so a way to record these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, mental exercise is meditation, reading, learning, conversations, planning, mm-hmm. and then I have media under there. So like, oh. did you watch TV? Did, did I Netflix? You know, did I listen to a podcast? You know. Did I watch the entire two seasons of Fleabag all in one go? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did I watch all 22 Marvel movies in a very short period of time? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's on paper now. <laughs> um, next is body systems. It's really things like basic, uh, vision, uh, ENT, ears, ears, nose, and throat, mm-hmm. skin, hygiene. This comes in handy. So when I go to the doctor now, yeah, you have all like, the like. When did this, you know, rash start? I'm like Thursday, you know, That's August seventeenth. So smart, you know. And this is slightly to the side of this and only applicable to you know part of the audience. But I have um, a menstrual tracking app called Clue. But the great thing is, it's not just like, do you have your period or not? It's like, how do you feel this particular day? Yeah. What's your skin like? Yes. Um, all of these things, and I find it so helpful to be able to just sort of track my own moods. And the great thing is, it actually has a thing that pops up says PMS is coming and i was like i know bitch like it's <laughs> and then you could prepare for it mentally, right? you, know? you and the funny thing is you can actually have the data sent to a partner <laughs> so that's they amazing can, so they it. know what's going on and i think that's great <laughs> that's great and the thing is like anything like that that helps us be more in tune with ourselves because you know how it is like sometimes like say your partner like you might be really aware mm-hmm. of behaviors that maybe he's not and yeah same thing like i rely on my wife sometimes to tell me like you know that you're doing this or yeah. you're not doing that because sometimes we're just unaware of it. Um, this helps be aware of, of these things. That's so cool. And to be able to share that. Cause and like, to share, yeah. Yeah, because my, my husband asked me the other day. I was feeling so cranky. And I and I actually I was able to articulate it to him because we were highly articulate with each other. And I said, I'm being so cranky. I am so sorry. I just don't feel well. And he's like, okay. you know, Because he knows he can ask me this this question and it's all right. Um, he said, did you have your meds? Because I, cause if you ask somebody... There, there's a cruel way to ask somebody yes. that question. There was something on social media recently, and the guy was being disrespectful of his partner, sort of with taking your meds, like. And but oh, yeah. there's a kind way to do that, and he was great at that. And I said, you know, I did. Um, and he said, okay, have you had caffeine? And I said, I did also. I don't know what's going on here, mm-hmm. and we were trying to sort of figure out what that was. But he knew that he could, he knows my systems, yes, so well. Right, right. <laughs> so really... it's like what you're reading right now is you know you need uh, caffeine, and here you go. I'll yeah. That's really cool. And like, what did you say at the at your seminar? You said um, something about most problems can be tracked to like hunger. Oh yes, yeah. so there was a person in it, and and there's a system that I think they use in recovery called mm-hmm. Halt: hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Right. And I, I think that's so good. And I've shared that with a, a bunch of of people. So I don't want to say the um, name of who it was, but she knows who she is. And <laughs> thank you for for doing that because I've been able to apply it. I had a friend who was spiraling recently mm-hmm. and I said, okay, here's a thing. And, uh, and she was like, oh, I'm hungry and I'm lonely. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And you, some of these are solvable in a really kind of quick way. And that's yeah. really good. Yeah. Sometimes it is a little simpler. It's not, yeah. always, it's not always complicated. So if you take care of like your basic life needs and those are satisfied, like you said, like those Snickers commercials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Snickers satisfies. Um, then there's <laughs> like sorry, I'm a, I'm like I'm a monster. I'm, they're like I'm a monster when I haven't eaten it. Yeah, like, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think most people are. Yeah. Um, so Hang you talk about word. if you take care of all those things, there's still something wrong. Well, then, yeah. then you have to, need to keep asking questions and figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, so the, the last category on this page is I have 
input. Oh, which yeah. is things like vitamins, me- medications, um, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, and natural remedies. Trying to sort of cover all the non-food type items that we yeah. take in. Um, and that can be nothing to like a lot of things depending on the day or the person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a lot of usable data out of that. So the, this front page is kind of just giving you like a, a daily map of your behaviors and the things you do in a given day mm-hmm. and your intake and, and that sort of thing. The, the, the back page, um, let me to hold that up there. Yeah. It's more of like an output sort of thing. Um, so it starts with uh, intention. I like to do a daily intention, but also like a more long-term intention. Mm-hmm. Like, How um, do you set those and what does that look like? So like my intention for today would probably be like get to the studio on time, you know, don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. You are doing great. Um, and then like my more long-term intention might be like uh, – you know, keep working on mental health, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, so you don't necessarily always attend to the long-term things every day, but by writing it down, you're at least reminding yourself it's there. I really like the daily thing yeah. and I need to, I've gotten better about it over the course of the last year because I realize if I don't have something, yeah. then I sort of spiral Yeah, and that's really not a good thing. And Andrew Zimmern actually sort mm-hmm. of like taught me to do this, to have you know what is what is the thing for today? What is what is the daily thing to do? Yeah. And I'm still searching for what that thing is is going to be. Sure. But at least if I my intention is thinking about an intention. Yeah. But to have that tiny achievable goal, you know what? Actually, I do have. I have a um, a thing on my phone that goes off every day at two thirty. Says um, stand and breathe. Yeah. And half the time I just sort of shut it off out of annoyance. <laughs> but sometimes I am like, oh, okay, yeah, I have to stand and breathe at two thirty. Right. And it's a little thing. I know that I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, even when you don't, mm-hmm. you've still done something to remind yourself that it's an intention you have. Yeah. And so. it, and I actually shared a couple of people on it, too, so it pops up on their phone yeah. as, as well. And, and I actually have one there um, but before the cafeteria closes here It's to go down and remind myself to eat something. Yeah. Do I always? No. But at least I thought about it for a second. And you're going to be more likely to do it more often if uh, if you're having little reminders like that. So, yeah. So after intentions, there's a category for notable events. Um, and that's just basically a lot of things happen in the day. And mm-hmm. the things that kind of are notable that you want to remember when they happened and kind of how it made you feel is there. Then there's like a daily summary um, from very unhappy to very happy. Mm-hmm. And that one, at the end of the day, you check one of those boxes. And it's very tricky because you're like, well, I was happy in the morning, but I was unhappy later. Yeah. But you're just tracking the average, and it's hard to do that, but it makes you kind of focus in like, right, but what – if I have to make a choice between one thing, overall, how was my day? Overall, it was very unhappy or very happy. So mm-hmm. uh, you start to see the boxes move up and down and how they relate to things that happen. Um, and then you give yourself a summary rating, a 1 to 10 scale on your efficiency, work-life balance, goals, and self-actualization. Um, efficiency is like, did I get all my to-do list stuff Mm -hmm. done? You know, uh, work-life balance is like, did I attend, did I get my work done, but I also leave time for my personal life, my family life? Did I keep it in balance or did I just focus on one or the other fully? Mm -hmm. Um, which can be okay, depending. Um, and then goals, like the intentions I set, did I, how, how close did I get to achieving them? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, which is, I think the most important one is self-actualization. Yes. What is that? So that's like, um, I try to turn like. I try to term things as like non-spiritual and, and religious as possible because I think um, the more you can make things more about data and information, the more mm-hmm. approachable it is for a wide range of people. Mm-hmm. And you don't um, sort of rub people the wrong way with, yeah. with um, like trying to help people with mental health, but then injecting your own kind of 
beliefs into it can be tricky. So I try to avoid that altogether. But self-actualization is one where it's like, how much did you achieve being who you are in that mm. day? Like, how much did you get to really be the person you wanted to be, your true self, you know? Um, and that can range really widely. Um, and it's a way just to remind ourselves to, like, at the end of the day, it's all you have to do is just be your genuine self. You know, you don't have yeah. to be anybody else. So um, seeing all the stuff is 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 cool because like we focus so much on our failures and mistakes and mm -hmm. the things we did not accomplish that this doesn't have you list what you didn't do it has, has yeah. list what you did do that's you know? i think that's so helpful because yeah. i'm a person with a brain I can beat myself up at the end of the day you know i didn't get this and this and this and this accomplished yeah I, and again i've gotten better about this because i have this mental accountant uh who's saying well you don't deserve to sleep because you didn't do x and x and x and x and i've gotten right. much better as i've gotten older as i you know went back on medication yeah. and and uh, as i got a diagnosis of adhd that okay you know you it was okay you didn't you get another reset tomorrow unless there's something that is definitively will screw up somebody else's day if this thing doesn't happen, if this will cause harm to somebody else, if I don't take care of this thing today, most of the stuff can happen. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I might get up early. I might do whatever. So I'm a little bit better about saying, you know, like I can't, I can't sleep. I haven't earned sleep. I haven't done enough today to earn my place, you know, in the universe right. and realizing like it doesn't actually work that way. <laughs> it doesn't. And the thing is like, I think that's a very common, like what you're talking about, I have those same thoughts. And I know yeah. a lot of people do. It's like the self-punishment thing mm -hmm. and beating ourselves up. And what you start to realize, though, is that when you treat yourself like that, you're affecting the people around you. Yeah. You know, because then if you're feeling that way and, or, or you're in a bad mood, you can't give your genuine self to, to the people you care about. Yeah. And then that just, again, sends negative things back and forth and just makes it harder and harder to get to where you need to be. Um, so by tracking our achievements and the things that went right, it's a, it's a little way to remind ourselves to like take it easy on ourselves a little bit, not yeah. beat ourselves up for the things we didn't do. And to be able to say like, because it's so easy to forget the things you do actually do. Mm -hmm. It's like you accomplish something and you move on and you instantly forget about it and you think yeah. about 10 things on your list, you know? You have to give yourself credit for yeah. those little wins. Totally. I, I think I really believe that because, and not in a way to like self-congratulatory, it's just a way to be like healthy in mind, body, mm -hmm. and spirit, you know? Um, because you're going to be um, a more efficient and a more compassionate person if you're compassionate to yourself. It, and learning self-compassion is so hard. Mm -hmm. And depending on how we were raised, like so many of us were not raised with a good vocabulary for, yeah. for this uh, kind of stuff. And if you're in hospitality, you're taking care of everybody else yes. and yes. you come last. But I, I just... Um, this is still fresh in my mind because we, we just recorded this the other day, but I just did a talk with Sean Brock mm -hmm. at Blackberry Farm, and he was talking about, you know, his recovery and self-compassion, and he had kind of a graph. Uh, Y'all should be, you, you, you should be friends. You have, both have the binders <laughs> yeah. for this because when he was, um, you know, coming out of, of rehab and he had to come up with a care plan, yeah. he made this binder of it, and but he came up with this method um, where he was trying to figure out sort of the radius of his care that he could give, yeah. and he couldn't tend to the things out here if he wasn't getting to you know his tiniest unit like he was talking about it as units of community which i thought was really mm -hmm. brilliant he's like my smallest unit of community is you know myself yeah. uh, but then his wife and his little baby yeah and he's like if they're not sort of taking care of i'm not solid with them i can't go out to the next thing which is you know the managers and then you know the guests and all this kind of stuff and i thought that was really a really great way to look at that that's very smart it's like you're taking care of your your own house before you're expanding that that sphere and that's 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 a good point because if 
and I think that again, like the hospitality thing starts with yourself. Like mm-hmm. if you're not good to yourself, if you're not treating yourself well, if your mise en place isn't mm-hmm. in shape, then how can you truly treat other people well? You know, because then it's if you can't treat yourself well, you can't really treat other people well because it, it, it is an act. So, yeah. so by starting ourselves and treating ourselves well, having compassion for ourselves, then it's it's easy to be genuine with other people, the people around us, and take care of them. You know. Because then, if you're if you're if you're taking care of other people at, at um, while well, not taking care of yourself, then there's a little bit of a resentment built in there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those. I mean, I always quote the sort of air, airplane thing: yeah. put your own mask on before helping others. Yeah. Because I mean, you have to plenish, you know, that that part of yourself. But yeah, I yeah. absolutely get the resentment. Like you know, everybody else is happy. Why don't I get to be? And then yeah. you engage in sort of bad behaviors of this. There's also the thing. There was sort of the push pull recently with the uh, RuPaul and Lizzo because uh, you know, uh, and the RuPaul's thing is like you know, if you um, if you love yourself, you can love everybody else. But uh, you know, Lizzo says like, if you love me, you can love yourself. And <laughs> you know, and I think both both of those are, are kind of valid. But it's sometimes if you have a brain that is used to taking care of other people, you're yeah. so focused on taking everybody else and 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 not your yourself. Yeah. And it's a big job to take care of yourself. It it's, is. Yes. Yeah. It really is. It's daily work. <laughs> it's daily work and it's important work. And this, this side of the sheet, it also was inspired by my therapist. Cause when we go, mm-hmm. I was doing therapy every week and she'd always track this kind of stuff. Like how is your day mm-hmm. overall? How's your week overall? How, what are your intentions for this week? So that influences part of it. Cause I always think about that. Like it's like intention and attention, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're taking care of those two things, then you're, you're living a life that you know, you know, is worth examining, um, and it, it it makes it easier to function and and to deal with the 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 stresses uh, we deal with, and um, also like to, it's important I think in in the industry in particular, but to the world in general to like help demystify mental health. Yeah. Um, in particular, like I know we were talking earlier about suicide, mm-hmm. and about a year ago I had a, a pretty good friend who's a bartender, hadn't seen him in a long time, and. He died by suicide. I'm so um, sorry. More recently, we lost David Berman, great artist, great <sighs> yeah. lyricist, great songwriter. I think, yeah. Um, actually, one of my colleagues just got a tattoo um, in memoriam of, of him. And uh, yeah, that's... A... Yeah, that one hurt. That was a hard one. And um, Yeah. He, uh, in reading the stuff he was, he was, the interviews he was doing before he died, he talked a lot about treatment resistance. I'd never heard that term before, but it makes yeah. so much sense. Um, yeah. I know so many people who are treatment resistant. I was treatment resistant for a long time where it's like you don't, part of you doesn't want to get better, you know? I, I, I so understand that because you become comfortable in your discomfort because then there's the responsibility of being well. And mm-hmm. if you don't know if you can achieve that, it can be, re- there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of pressure and work and you know who you are as a depressed person or an anxious person or a person with relationships to substances or whatever, you know who you are at that, as that person. Yeah. And sometimes you can be in a community that reinforces you in that role. Mm-hmm. So who are you going to be if you're not that person? It's true. And I think I, I have a, um, a saying that helped me kind of formulate all this stuff, which is, is that we often walk around with an attitude of illness. Yeah. Um, where, you know, when I was going to doctor for my back, in my mind, I'm like, it's got to be cancer. Yeah. yeah. You know, and jumping to that instead of the easier solution, which was it's anxiety. So you can throw a lot of effort at trying to self-diagnose your cancer and trying to go down that treatment path. 
which is not what's happening. Oh, or, I thought I was having an aneurysm last night. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, my head hurts. Oh, clearly I'm having a stroke or something like that. Yeah, you know? like self-diagnosis <laughs> is, is really bad for us because we have this attitude of illness. We just expect to be sick. Mm-hmm. And part of that is like kind of thinking we don't deserve to be healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And then we find out we're healthy. It's like we resent that. Um, and, and you hear it from doctors and you're like, no, that can't be right. That can't be right. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm ill. There's something wrong with me. It's like, mm-hmm. well, there is, but it's, it's, a, it's a mental attitude. And address that because there's no shame in that. Yeah, and 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 it is it is just as valid. Like it's like I hate the oh it's all in your head. Like yeah, it is. Which it's still very present for me, and it's affecting my body. And it's it's not, you know, it's people like to diminish other people's uh, mental health things, and and I honestly think that comes from a place of either fear or ignorance. Yeah, Um, but it's it's very very valid, even if it is like you know quote unquote all in your head. It's still real. Your body hurts just as much. It's it's true, and and our our minds can make our body hurt. So I think part of that is it's easier. It's less. There's less of a feeling of guilt and shame to say like I have a broken arm. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's physiological, it's, it's easy to address. But there's something about if it's a mental illness that we are really uncomfortable with as a culture. Yeah. And I've heard I'm talking to like the people closest to us, let alone like a therapist or oh, yeah. a, a coworker or something. You don't want to work you don't want to burden them. You don't want to worry right. them. And then also saying things out loud is really, really difficult. Really difficult. Um my therapist, we worked on like naming giving names to things. Because, yeah. Because <laughs> it's really scary to do that. And like when you put a name something like it's like you have to acknowledge it's real. Yeah. Um, and it's like really terrifying. But then by doing that you've made the step towards resolving it, you know? Um, I think that, I mean, and uh, can we talk about naming for a second? When I was a a kid and I was uh, first, had my first, like, actually second, we didn't, the the first time I had a sort of serious depression, they thought it was mono. (laughs) And then I got, you know, mono again, um, like my freshman year of, of high school, you know, I was being bullied. I was dealing with depression. It was a sort of all of this thing. And they did every test on earth. They thought I had cancer. They thought I had all these things and it came back. Well, no, it's, it's probably, you know, let's, you know, send her to see a therapist, get medication and stuff. Um, my, my mother in that, and who, you know, deals with a lot of mental illness herself, you know, she, it was making her come to terms with things about herself, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. we came up with a word for, you know, we didn't, depressed sounds so you know whatever it happens to be we came up with the word gricky which is a combination of gray and icky and and it and it was this manifestation of this i always felt like there was this gray cloud weighing me down mm-hmm. and you know and we could say like oh do you feel gricky today it's yeah, <laughs> you know whatever fantastic. that is so when you talk about though naming the things mm-hmm. what are you talking about when you're when you're saying that well it could be things like that like even having like a little bit of a private language between yourself and, and the people close to you yes, um, can communicate a lot in a short amount of time. Bad brain day is what I use a lot with, with people. <laughs> and it helps because, it, you know, then what ends up happening a lot of time is like if we're in a certain state, like being gricky or something like yeah. that, um, and the people around us are confused and don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and people tend to self... Um, take things on themselves. So Absolutely. If, if you're feeling that way, I might be like, oh, I've done something wrong. Oh, you know? yeah. And then it creates miscommunication and misunderstandings and arguments that Mm -hmm. are kind of unnecessary so like by naming things like that it it allows us sort of like move quickly through um and kind of set boundaries and parameters to how to how to interact like okay well if you're feeling gricky today i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bring up this subject then you know we'll 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 be focused on more positive things and there's that and then also just in therapy like you know when you're in therapy and you're uncovering like trauma and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um it can be it can be really hard to talk about the stuff and put names to it. It yeah. can be terrifying. I think a lot of people, uh, myself included, just don't often don't want to um, 
give names to those things because it's scary. Yeah. But you find that like when you give names to them, you're kind of taking your power back over those things. And, oh, absolutely. Diagno- you know. Like a diagnosis, uh, you know, if, if that is, is part of it is such a great thing because then you have a treatment plan. Exactly. You know, and you know. Exactly. Do- a treatment plan. And then you're less treatment resistant. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about um, the the pin that you brought with you because oh, yeah. because sometimes you don't have the words and you don't want to have to yeah. say something. So it is it's a shorthand. I it's so funny. Um, I, I met these people. I'd been thinking I wanted to talk to them, and then they happened to walk into a room that I was yes. in and um, explain the pin project, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so I found out about this at your seminar at Tales this year, um, and it's it's a project by a. Uh, Mark and Dee Dee out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. and they are both, you know, career bartenders who at a certain point had to stop drinking alcohol, mm-hmm. but still, like many people in the industry, still want to be bartenders and be professionals in the industry. Um, but what can be hard as a bartender who's not drinking maybe that night, maybe forever, is there is a lot of pressure within the community sometimes, sometimes not on purpose, but, you know, if you go into another bar, like, a, a good example is, like, I remember one time going into, like, the bar down the street because I needed to borrow, like, lemons or something and you walk in the door and already a shot's put on the table for you because they see you walking in it's like yeah well i wasn't trying to do that you know but now i feel like uh you have to i'm being antisocial or i'm, I'm being yeah. um you know inhospitable if i don't uh take this this gift you know because it is it, it bartenders giving shots together can be a really nice gesture and, and there's the boomerang <laughs> the boomerang you know the, the bartender's handshake all stuff that those are traditions that can be very positive and very good and it gives a sense of community but if on a given day you're like I don't want to drink today. Like mm-hmm. I'm, ch- I'm taking a break from this. Yeah, um, it's hard to talk about. So the the idea is you would put the pin on your uh, shirt. And for people who can't see it, it sort of looks like a no sign, like in the circle with the slash through. But the slash is very long, and it's it's sort of subtle. It's um, it's a good looking pin. You could yeah. easily wear. I have a, a different sort of version of it. Like the met, it's like a, I think it's more silver or something mm-hmm. like that. I think maybe they do different different versions. It's something you could absolutely wear on your clothing. And if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. So it's nothing like a you know. And if you don't know, it becomes a conversation piece. Yeah. And I try to train my I've trained my bartenders to know what it is. And, and um, whenever I go around to different you know bars, I I I try to bring it up if it you know organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a really great, like you said, it's a sign of communication so that, like, like if I see that now, mm-hmm. I know exactly what to do. Like, they don't want to talk about it, so I'll, I'll make them, like, a seltzer. S- seltzer water, you know, and yeah. uh, not make a big deal out of it. And so it's what I like about it, too, is that there's a spectrum, I think, mm-hmm. of behavior. So, like, to either be a drinker or to be in recovery are, you know, can be very, you know, extreme ends of the, of the spectrum, right? But there is also a whole place in between for a yeah. lot of us, you know, like as bartenders and um, front house workers and, and back house workers too. It's like there may be just times you 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 need to drink because you're doing menu designs like that, and other times when you're not trying to. Um, so trying to like, navigate that can be really tricky. It can be really hard, yeah. you know. If you set goals, there's like I'm not drinking for a month. That can be really hard to maintain yeah. working in the industry. Yeah. So any little thing to help, I think, is really positive. I think it's fantastic that they did this pen. And yeah, and uh, you know, I'm a person who you know goes in and out of, of drinking, and it's usually because uh, you know physical stuff. Um, beyond you know, I have this <laughs> treatment resistant gut thing, and honestly, like, and uh, and so I have to periodically go on these like awful bomb rounds of like gut medication, and yeah. I will not be drinking then. But you know, I, we have uh, bits and bubs, <laughs> as, as we call uh, my friend 
friends and I call I, I think at Bon Appetit, I have to give them the credit, they called it um, Bubs and Bits or something. And somehow I misinterpreted that as Bits and Bubs. <laughs> but it's, you know, seltzer and bitters. And it's yeah, a yeah. really nice thing. And I, I wrote about it at some point a couple of years ago. And it turns out like it's this like shibboleth kind of thing where if somebody orders a seltzer and, and bitters at a, um, at a bar, uh, a lot of a lot of bartenders are clued into what that means mm-hmm. that you're just not totally. drinking that night. And, yeah. and it, the great thing about it is, if you feel like you have to do this thing to fit in, like it looks like you're drinking something because there's probably yeah. a lime wedge yeah. and it's got a slight bit of color to it. Yeah. And it's yeah. And then you don't have to have that. I mean, it's nobody's business why anybody else isn't drinking. If Absolutely. they're pregnant, if they're on medication, sure. if they're sober, it's uh, whatever. Yeah. So that's I just where can people get this pin? Uh, the, on they have a website. Uh, www the p dot I-N. And we'll have this in the show notes yeah. as and well. I ordered it from there. I ordered a bunch for to have on hand for my staff. If they want yeah. to borrow them, like kind of borrow them like their library books, um, or even to give out to guests if they ask about them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can get on their on their website and they'll they'll ship it to you. Um, it was funded by the Tales of the Cocktail yeah. grant. So I think that's awesome. Um, now. That leads into where I see my personal music possibility. Yeah, going. I, okay. So personally, I was going to say, okay, copyright it right this second. Because <laughs> like, this is something that really, I, I think, could be an industry game changer. And at the same time, I want you to get lots of money for it. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, whatever you, I, I see, like an app or something like that. But I, yeah. I like, it's something like, because I honestly think um, you're giving people a toolbox. Yeah, and what's cool, like, so my wife, um, when I was working on this for a long time, and she was mm-hmm. like, "What? You know what? What is this? Like, what are you even doing? Like, mm-hmm. not like just like not not in, in a constructive way, but it's kind of like I don't like explain it, help me understand." And when I finally did my seminar at San Antonio Cocktail Conference, and she was there, and she was really supportive, and she was like, "Oh my god!" And like afterwards, is she in the industry? Uh, no, she's not in the industry. Um, she was a, a baker, a professional baker for a while, but um, has been out of the industry for a while. Um, but uh, after I did it, she's like, "Okay." I have so many questions. I have so many ideas and gave me really good constructive feedback. And like part of it, you start to see how like things manifest from your own personality. Right. Yeah. So for me, like I like writing longhand and having journals. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone does like that. And my wife was like, first of all, you need a PowerPoint presentation. So she made me one and it's fantastic. Oh, amazing. Um, do you need an app for it? And yeah. And she's like, you need an app because most people that's don't really want to carry this around them. They want to do it in their phone. And I was like, You're, I didn't even think of that. I'm like, that's so, yeah. that's so true. So I do want to do an app out of it. The cool thing about I think what an app could do for as well is that you could do charts where when you enter this information, you actually could do the reports and track. Yeah. I mean, that's the know. thing I love about this period app is yeah. because it says over time, like here's, here's all this stuff. Yeah. Like, so it can tell you exactly like how many drinks you've had in a month and how yeah. much of your goals you've achieved in a month and that sort of thing. So I'm really excited about that. Is and this copyright? Please copyright yeah. this. Like, <laughs> like right this second do that because you've, you've really put so much labor into this and it's such a, I see this in my, it just, it puts my brain at ease looking at it, mm-hmm. like just fitting into the system. And it's, you know, is, is there a website where people can, can get this? No, or? this is, okay. <laughs> this is right now. This is all very word of mouth. Yeah. Um, it's so and, good. And partially by design, I'm not trying to rush it out into the world yeah i've been you know i've done a couple seminars i'll do staff trainings at mm-hmm. bars restaurants i want on you it. to get paid to go and speak about it <laughs> i'm not even thinking about that right now because i just i just want to be a resource to the community because yeah. like there are a lot of cool people doing really cool things and trying to be positive and add positive things to the industry and to the world and i, I want to do the same i think it's actually gonna work for anybody too like I, yeah. I designed it as an industry thing but i started to realize again my wife looks like yeah like this could apply to me too i don't need to be yeah in the industry so that's kind of cool um but yeah, right now I just want to sort of like I'm still taking my time with it. It's been yeah. a, it's 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 a work in progress still, and part of it, talking about it like here today is another part of me sort of um just seeing what people 
need and want out of something like this and so I can further refine it, you know. I mean, it's been on my mind since you, you showed it to me back yeah. in, was that May? Well, that was wild. Uh, yeah, no, it was during South by Southwest. It was March. Mar that was, oh, gosh, that feels so long and it short does. ago. I know, I know. <laughs> it was, I was, and I was in the middle of crazy travel right then yeah. as well. So I, oh my gosh, because I was going from there to Philly to... I forget where I was going after that yeah. and, and just trying to, you know, sort of keep myself in, in check during that yeah. kind of time. And well, it was cool because you were interviewing Philip, Chef Philip Spear. Yeah, so I have podcasts with him and one with Callie and I think yeah, we'll, probably put, we'll probably put this all out at the same time. So talk about the um, the new place and, and what you have uh, done to take care of people there and then, you know, and what you know about the, the run project. Oh, yes, yes. So William Ball is the owner of both Garage and Commodore. Mm -hmm. um, Chef Phil Spear is a part owner of Commodore and has been integral with garage development as well. Um, they're both very much into, you know, wellness and um, mental health and, you know, again, like provide health care for all staff, which is fantastic. That is know? unheard of. And, and that's and that and it should be very much more heard of. And I, mm -hmm. and I think it'll be really valuable for people to know that it can be done. Well, yeah. You know, just to um, talk about that for a minute. I, yeah. was, I just did bar methods this week. Um which is a fantastic um, annual project. It's it's uh, it's similar to like a bar smarts type of thing, but it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit, it's it's different. It's really great. Um, Christopher Bidmead is the guy behind that, and it was fantastic. And I met I think fifty bartenders from all over, um, and I met a woman uh, who who's who's a bartender. She's pregnant, and I thought about that. Cause I think about that myself. It's like in the industry, you know, because we're bartenders or servers or work in restaurants or bars, like. Those situations become very difficult. Like yeah. If you don't have health care, if you don't have time off, like if you're a bartender and you're pregnant and you take three months off, it just means you don't make money. Yeah. Um, so that can be really challenging. And that kind of plays into why I think healthcare should just be a standard thing for bars and restaurants. I don't think it should be like we don't deserve that just because of, of the nature of our work. If anything, we need it more than a lot of industries. I, I It's baffling to yeah. me. Like I know economics are deeply challenging yeah. and, and stuff, but it's just the humane thing to do well the way i look at it the way we look at it is like it's another expense you know like mm -hmm. we spend x amount of thousands of dollars a year fixing our refrigerators mm -hmm. and our cold draft machines and all that stuff like you know we should also spend that money to do preventive maintenance for our humans <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean it, it's yeah pe people break and imagine this is really good for um, drawing people to work for you mm -hmm. and staff retention. Absolutely. I'm sure that's got to be, because it's expensive oh, yeah. to train somebody new. It is. And it's, it's you know, you invest a lot of time and, and money into into people. And like, I have a staff, a wonderful staff. I love you all. Um, and a lot of them have been there two, three years, you know? Yeah. And like in this industry, that that can be really difficult to hold on to people. Yeah. And Especially they, a town like yours where there's a million places to work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they stay with us. They grow with us as the, as the, as the company grows. We have more restaurants and bars, they'll be our future managers and, and leaders, you know, so it's really, um, really nice to be able to sort of uh, nurture that, that sort of culture. And so culture is really important to those guys, William and, and Philip. And, um, you know, th those guys are both in recovery. Um, they do, you know, a lot of healthy practices like yoga and, and running. So uh, Philip started um, the run club for the restaurant for Commodore. And it's open to really anybody, but it's specifically, you know, um, a lot of the Comer staff and some of the garage staff, they they run together three times a week, like Monday, I think it's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. What time of day? At 10 o'clock. At night night or morning? Morning. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but no, because I, I yeah. know people, like I was just with a friend of mine and he, you know, had a, I think he worked a double, yeah. got home, went to the gym because yeah. he needed to burn that off. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
right now they're doing the morning. I think they see it as like a way to sort of jump yeah. start your day. And you know, Philip um, is really active in running, and he's done marathons, and he, yeah. it's part of his lifestyle. He does every day, um, and that's been really great for him, you know, and his health. Um, but he makes it really clear to everybody. It's like this isn't a race. This isn't about who's mm-hmm. great at running. Like if you've never run before, if you can barely run, like you're welcome to come with us. If you fall behind, we'll wait for you. I'll, I'll, That's I'll, I'll jump next to you. And tries to make it really approachable. Cause like, I know for myself personally, like he's like, you coming to running tomorrow? And I'm like, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it makes me like uncomfortable cause I've never been a runner. Yeah, but he's, same. So, like, he's so like welp- welcoming with it. And I know I'll do it eventually. Um, it's just, I'm working through I my own insecurities, totally, you know? I absolutely know. Like, I, I know that I need to, like, go to yoga or, or something, but yeah. it, it's just the notion of, because I know people are really competitive about it and stuff. So I, I used to go to a gym um, and the, the class that I would go to yoga and it was, like, old, like, firefighters with injuries and, yeah, like, yeah. cops with sciatica. And Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, like, in, in really physical uh, industries, it's even more important that we take care of ourselves and mm-hmm. our bodies. And, like, for me, like, I, I try to do a fair amount of stretching every yeah. single morning. I encourage my bartenders to do that. Like we were talking about at bar methods, it's like if you don't stretch before your shift, like oh. 10 drinks in shaking, you're going to be like, you're oh screwed. my God, you're going to be on fire. So it's really important to stretch every day. I try to exercise several times a week. I haven't gotten towards, I do exercise uh, bike. I oh like yeah, I like it. The I comfort actually, of my own home, you know? Yeah. And I can listen to whatever I need to on that. For some reason, I listen to a lot of Kanye. <laughs> on, the, on the bike I don't know why that's my Kanye and Johnny Marr <laughs> yeah I listen to podcasts a lot while I'm doing it yeah. you know I think that's the thing too it's like um what can be a little bit difficult like as we're sort of trying to bring different worlds together because like I still grew up uh, mentality from high school of, like there was the jocks and the punks yeah and I was definitely one of the punks I wasn't yeah. one of the jocks you know yeah so but unfortunately, when you choose that lifestyle and that culture, you generally are kind of eschewing like physical exercise and that sort of thing because <laughs> I feel like you punks don't... are getting healthy now. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's Everybody's like, like straight edge, and <laughs> you know, you don't like take off your you know leather jacket and put on like a you know yeah exercise clothes and go to the gym. Like a lot of us don't. Have you seen the goth uh, health goth? No, it's amazing, <laughs> and I actually have uh, like a health goth playlist. Wow. I, I, I did not put it together. It, it's a thing that exists in the world. It's like industrial music that you can work out to. That's so cool. So health you, goth. <laughs> our ways of like finding our comfort level. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, like a lot of times, um, different cultures that can be like yeah. off putting to yeah to people if it's not if you don't follow like the cookie cutter way to do it. Yeah, and it's like so. I think it's important for us all to find our own comfort level with that. And if you're like, well, I want to run, but Honestly, I don't want to like wear like running clothes. I just want to like. Oh yeah, you, know you what just mean? have to find the. You I have to t- find your your way with it. You know your yeah. comfort level. Oh, you're uh, yeah. I'm like all black <laughs> yeah. clothes and like you know band t-shirt or you know whatever that thing happens to be. Or you know I buy all the Halloween Target uh, t- Halloween stuff at Target because they have really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you still have to feel like you. You're right. You have to feel like you. Yes. When you're taking care you of yourself, you have to retain your individuality while being part of the group. You know, I'm never gonna be Gwyneth. <laughs> right. I'm never gonna be. You know, and I psych myself out of it thinking I'm like. Oh, wellness and stuff, it's not for me. But I, you know, I just had this, you know, fairly transformative time at Blackberry Farm where I wasn't even doing any of like the wellness stuff, but I was around a culture of it that didn't yeah. feel douchey to me. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. No, I appreciate that too. And I I, I think that's kind of cool that like things are changing a lot. Yeah. And cultures are interlapping and and, and transforming. Yeah. And like and I th- I think it's okay. I think that's healthy for for all of us to kind of just be open with who we are and what yeah. we do and how we how we perceive things so we can kind of like collectively change things, you know. Um if it's okay, can I double back on something we talked earlier? Please, please. Yeah. We started to talk a little bit about suicide. And, yeah, um, let's talk about it. A couple things. That... Oh, I'm going to shout out one thing real quick. Oh, yeah. 
Crisis text line is 741741. You just text them. It's available 24-7. And whatever you're going through, they have heard it before. And the volunteers, um, I used to be a volunteer. I'm currently in retirement from that. But like they, they, they give a damn. doesn't matter where you are. You just text that. You send them. You can do it via Facebook Messenger. And um, I'm not sure about via Twitter. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. So whenever we talk about suicide, I just like to shut that out Absolutely. First. And thank you for doing that. Um, I'm obviously not a therapist. And I'm not trying to Same. Get, get, get advice out. But <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a friend last night and we were kind of reliving what happened with our friend last year who mm-hmm. died by suicide and there was still a lot of anger yeah. on my friend's yeah. side and he just still hadn't come to terms with it yet. And when we talk earlier about how with mental health in general, there's mm-hmm. a lot of anger and shame of and stigma course. attached to it. Then you put, add suicide into that, it's even way worse. Absolutely. People and, won't talk about, like, right. there are people who you know that that was the thing and a lot of times it's the family doesn't want to say. Right. The, yeah. So as a culture, I think if we allow that dialogue to be more open and be prepared to hear hard things and like not yeah. judge people like someone if your friend is in danger of that but you have like an attitude of like being angry about it or mm-hmm. or adding shame or guilt to it like they're not going to talk to you about it yeah so you have to sort of like forget your own feelings and emotions about it and let yourself be open to hearing the conversation and then try to help and do what you can um but if we want these great people these wonderful human beings who are Dying by suicide, and it's important to use that term. They yeah, don't I agree. Suicide. Yes, I agree with that because that it, that puts the blame on somebody, and it used to be like sort of a legal kind of thing. Yeah, C- commit. It, it makes it like a sin, a crime. Yeah, it makes it shameful. They died by suicide in mm-hmm. the same way that you don't say someone committed cancer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you with don't you. say someone committed um, being hit by a car. Um, mm-hmm. So we need to think about our language and how we view these things because when we and say you those can terms, also say killed themselves. Like just in my my crisis counselor training, mm-hmm. you can say. Uh, took their life, killed themselves, you know, whatever it is also because it's, it's what happened. It's what happened. Sure. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to like, um, you know, this is important. No, this is absolutely important. I'm glad. And I kept, I was hearing you saying dead by suicide. I was like, yep. I'm yeah. grateful you were using those words. And, uh, you know, like I don't have any anger towards my friends who, who have died that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could have helped, you know, Yeah. but I understand why they didn't feel, empowered to talk about it and like let's i was saying last night let's let's not think about that let's focus on stopping the the forthcoming ones because they're going to happen um and if we want to bring because the numbers are going up right everything i've read is the numbers are going up and up you know yeah yeah and so if we want them to come down we need to be more open to having that conversation you know so i do a talk called an awkward an awkward conversation will not kill you and it's uh, and it's really about having those blunt conversations. But I mean, the thing is, if we were at the point where like you can have an awkward conversation or you can be crying at their funeral and like and um, it's it's as dire yeah. as as that. You can't beat yourself up for not having stopped it, not having known. And because and, it's a thing that cannot be un, undone and guilt. I've heard this guilt is a useless emotion <laughs> is, yeah. is, you know, it. Um, it's about preventing the future kind of stuff. And you can go to somebody as awkward as it is. You have to normalize saying to somebody, are you going to hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. Are you, I mean, they taught us with, with a crisis text line part of the, you do 30 some hours of training and testing yeah. and all this, this stuff. And they teach you, there's this method. If it, you have to ask people, um, are you thinking about 
you know, hurting yourself or you think about killing yourself, um, have you thought about how you would do it? Do you have those things nearby? You escalate up and do you have a time frame? And if it's all of those things, then you have to take more active measures yeah. because otherwise you're just trying to sort of walk it back, yeah. you know, and, and think like, how do we keep them from getting to, to the next thing? But it made me realize, like, I've just super blunt been with friends who I feel I'm worried about, like, um, are you, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Yeah. And that's awkward to say it, but it shocks you out of this thought loop. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh my God, wait, that's real that I was thinking that thing. Yeah, no, that that's powerful, I think. You know, that's a that's a hard conversation, but that's really an honest way to approach it. Yeah, um, it's not fun. No. Uh, and, and people think there's this sort of notion out there that um, the more people like talk about suicide, it triggers it. That's actually, research has shown that that's not the case. Right, you're, you're not going to give someone an idea they haven't, they haven't already had by talking about it, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know, I don't know if these things are solvable, but I just think that at the least we have to approach it with compassion and openness, you know? Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, if we want to prevent more of that. Yeah. And if we, if we want to, you know, and it starts with ourselves and being kind mm-hmm. and waking up and maybe you did have a day that's a one on your scale or, yeah. or something, but you know, make it through to that next day yeah. and because you have a chance to reset your mise en place in the morning. Exactly. That's the beautiful thing about mise en place. It happens every day every or day. even sh- every shift if you need it to. So I look forward to doing this now. Like it, it, was yeah. a chore. it was a chore at first. Yeah. And like I said, it was difficult to be honest, but I use codes. So mm-hmm. in case someone found it, yeah. like I wouldn't be embarrassed because there can't be yeah. any shame yeah. or embarrassment. It's got to be very honest data. Yeah. Um, so I know the code in my head. I don't need to write it down. And then um, I can record all this information, you know, thoroughly. Um, but what I find now is that Writing this out, I do it in the morning, so I yeah. get up. So I reflect. I, I I start out my morning, and I reflect on the night before, and write it all down. I'll write my intentions that day, um, but um, it's therapeutic to do it. Yeah. So every morning I look forward to it. Like I used to think it was a chore. Now it's like, oh, I, like this morning yeah. I didn't get to do it. I was rushing. <laughs> I was rushing around this morning, trying to get from point A to point B, um, and uh, and I didn't get to do it. So yeah. I felt like a little bit like, oh, my mise en place is already a little bit off. Yeah, you know. But I hope you allow yourself to, the time during this day to sit down and like have a quiet moment and, and yeah. do that. And, and I don't beat myself up about it because I'll get to it yeah. at some point. Like it's it's not like it doesn't pile up because I keep up with it. Yeah. Um, and, and if you did, then it's okay. To, and if, like, yeah. Just if I miss days, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you know. Um, and you know, carrying this thing around me and it gets thicker and thicker every day. It is a little bit unwieldy. So I think um, I just started carrying a, a binder. Like I, 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 I'm trying to like get started working on a new book, uh, and it has a lot to do with like a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, but I bought my. I know I was serious about it when I bought the binder. Yeah, <laughs> got a binder, some folders, a notebook in there. Yeah, that's the start, right? Yeah, like you start of the process when you start yeah. doing those doing those things and make it sort of concrete. Yeah, and it's a you know bl- a black binder. I'm going to put like stickers on it and stuff, and really like <laughs> make it mine. But Stickers makes me think, um, actually, I want to ask you, uh, so tell me about your band. Do you still make music? Because I always think like punk rock stickers. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just, so tell me about what was, um, do you still make music and mm-hmm. what was the band you were touring with? Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great timing for this question because things have changed recently. Um, so in the early 2000s, well, I've been in band since I was like 15, but in the early 2000s, um, I was in a band called the Kingsbury Manx. And we released like five albums oh, on wow. various record labels, and we toured with all sorts of bands. What we, kind of music was it? Um, sort of like uh, if you took uh, like the Beach Boys and Simon and Garfunkel and put them together with like more of a contemporary um, thing, like very like finger picking guitar and yeah. vocal harmonies and you know psychedelic keyboards and that sort of stuff, like really pretty music. Um, so we did that for years. And we toured. Um, I ended up moving 
from that was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. My husband went there. He's from uh, from nearby. Oh cool. Yeah. So many great bands. Did you so ever play? Did you ever play Cat's Cradle? Of course. Yeah. yeah I love Bill Smith and yeah. Uh, yeah. That oh, so many good bands come out mm-hmm. of there. And uh, you know, I think it's so fun that like Mac from Super Chunk is yeah. married to like you know truly great yeah, chef so. Andrew Rusing and just yeah. that is such a, a crucible for great music. I worked at Lantern Andrew's restaurant as a oh, bartender. She's so special. That was like the first like real bartending job I'd had where I was like, you know, it's a really busy James Beard Award winning restaurant. Yeah. And like craft cocktails for the first time, not just like one-on-ones. Um, and I also worked at Merge, Max record label. <laughs> so, oh, you did? So the world is yeah. so tiny. So I actually met Andrea years and years before um, I was a food journalist, but I really cared about food. And mm-hmm. I, I was with a food journalist friend of mine and we went, went out to lunch. And somehow we sat, we talked, we bonded. And yeah. then like re-met years later. But I knew I loved all the the merge stuff. Yeah, of course, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, like, the world is very, very tiny. So, yes, that's, like, my world's, like, food and beverage and music has always been, like, I've always had a foot in both worlds. So, anyway, when I moved to Austin, and I have two children, I have a seven-year-old daughter, Audrey, and a uh, four-year-old son, Oliver. I miss him very much. You name very well. (laughs) Audrey and Oliver are (laughs) great names. Um, My wife takes a lot of credit for that, but, um, (laughs) so, or shouldn't take credit for that, but, um, when I moved to Austin about six years ago and I started uh, bartending at Garage, um, I'd kind of made a decision like the music chapter of my life is over. Mm-hmm. I'm committing to being a, a career professional bartender. And I kind of like sold all my music gear. And, you know, I didn't really know a lot of people um, in Austin. The Golden Boys, a great band in Austin. And they were like, hey, come play with us. But I was like, that chapter of my life is over. Now I'm focused fully on hospitality and and honing my craft, which I did. And then only recently I started playing music again. Again, Damon Bolte, who's in a band called Brothers and owns bars and bartends. And I was like, he's like, you still play music, dude? And I was like, no, I mean, I had to give it up when I focused on this. He's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, good point. So recently um, one of my old bandmates from Kingsbury Manx started a new band called Open Field. And I was visiting Chapel Hill for vacation a couple weeks ago. And they booked a show. And they were like, come play with us. I ended up playing a whole show with them. Was, That's awesome. Yeah. And oh. I hadn't played, in, I hadn't pl- touched an instrument or played in front of an audience in like seven years. What did you play? For most of the show, I played uh, keyboards, but I did one song on guitar and sang a song at the end. Uh, that's awesome. Because <laughs> it was my wife and mine's anniversary, right, right then. So okay. I, I sang like a little like romantic song to her. Oh yeah. So it, it, so you got to, you got to play a show. Yeah. And so I'm in that band again. So <gasps> that's um, so exciting. So they play every week on uh, Wednesdays. And remind I, me what they're called. Uh, Open Field. Open Field. And they're, uh, I did one record with them right before I moved to Austin. Um, we recorded in Asheville, North Carolina. Beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And then they recorded another record without me. And now they're playing live, and I'm just going to play them as much as I can, you know? Oh, that's so, so good. And I feel like balance is restored to my life a little bit. Yeah. Because like, it's true. Like, you can have it all. Like, you shouldn't try to, like, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But for me, my balance needs to be, like, yes, I'm a food and beverage professional, and that's, like, a big passion of mine. That doesn't mean I have to give up music. That can also be a passion of mine. I love that. <laughs> so I have a few questions I ask everybody. Of course. Yeah. All right. One is our Oprah moment because I'm saying things out to the universe so people listening somehow can help you with this to really manifest something. You're, you're taking care of your customers. You're taking care of your family, all this stuff. Um, what is the thing that you want for you, the selfish thing you want for, for you? Hmm. It's a tough one. Um, more time with my family, honestly. Yeah. Um, that is when I feel the the best, you know, mm-hmm. it's like when I just, just those quiet days like hanging out with the kids and my wife and not even like doing anything per, per se mm-hmm. but just not having like always the rush in modern life you know 
I really enjoy those quiet moments and I just want more of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> World, universe, <laughs> please let him have this. <laughs> um, have you ever cried in the walk-in? Um, not necessarily the walk-in per se, but mm -hmm. I've had my cry in the walk-in moments, sure. Yeah, I... I I think people don't realize how much emotional stuff happens yeah. in the walk-in. Yeah. You know, whether it's like punching, you know, bag no, or yeah, something. Yeah. Or... I've probably taken out more anger in the past in, in walk-ins. Yeah. Um, go, like years ago, that, that'd be more my my thing. Um, just go in there and kind of scream. But uh, yeah. maybe punch a bag of meat or something. <laughs> but sure, I've, I've more, more recently, as I'm more in touch with, you know, my inner self, I, I probably, probably more of those crying and walking moments. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your comfort food? Um, vegan sloppy joe. Oh, is there somewhere that, do you make them? Is there somewhere you get them? My, my wife makes it. It's really good. Yeah. Are you vegan? I'm vegetarian. Okay. But I, I really appreciate vegan food too. Yeah. Oh, that's really, and it seems like Austin, there's probably a lot of opportunity for vegetarian vegan stuff. Absolutely. I was, I was telling one of my staff uh, the other day about how like when I started as vegetarian, it was like almost impossible. Yeah. And now it's just, it's so easy. And I also want to talk about why I'm vegetarian. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, because I have compassion for animals and believe mm -hmm. them to be sentient. Um, but that's my own thing. That's not, I don't have any, obviously I work in food and beverage, so I have a lot of respect for mm -hmm. culinary traditions and I totally respect people eating food. But the real reason that I'm vegetarian is to try to provide balance. Mm. Um, we consume too much meat and too much beef as a civilization. And my part in that is to try to be one that will take one for the team and not do that. Yeah. And then hopefully that will spread so that we can eat meat. We should eat meat. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but yeah. let's try to get to a back to a balance where it's not destroying our planet to eat meat. I think that's really responsible and sane. <laughs> that's really good. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Hmm. Uh... Uh, so I've been traveling a lot, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it's like it's been tricky, like having like home time and stuff like that. So a few weeks ago, in between trips, um, I had like my first like home dinner with my mm -hmm. wife and my kids. And my wife made this wonderful dinner, um, and I just got kind of choked up and like tearful Aww. about it because I was like, so I just felt so so much gratitude. Yeah, because you know, like when you when when you cook for somebody, that's a, you're you're putting so much love into that, you know. And I appreciate that. And so when I go to a restaurant and get that, I appreciate that. But it's even like better when it's someone you care about and you're just sitting there with your family and, and enjoying an, a nice, wonderful meal. And like, yeah, I got like kind of like choked up. <laughs> I love that. What's the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? Um, like someone else's home. Yeah. No, people don't Gosh. cook for for uh, people in restaurants. They're always nervous. Um, when I visited New York a couple of years ago, my friend Greg, who's a really good like he's he doesn't work in industry anymore. He was a chef for a while. He made me really delicious like Indi Indian food, like curry mm. and stuff like that. And it was just like, dang, like it's like restaurant level food <laughs> in his in his little tiny New York apartment. It was awesome. That's so nice. This question, because you're a music person, uh, <laughs> might be a little tough. What living musician would you want to like cook or make a drink for, and what would you make for them? Wow. And it can't be somebody you've already done this for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that you live in such a music town. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I would like to make a really good cocktail for Simon Le Bon from Duran <gasps> I love him. Oh, my gosh. And I saw them perform, like, in the last couple of years, and he's still on it. He looks yeah. amazing. Yeah. He, like, they were and they were playing with Nile Rodgers. Yeah, it was, awesome. It was such a great, great, great set. If I can make a cocktail for Simon from Duran Durant, because I, I just, 
I don't know much, I don't know much about him, but I, I just have this idea that he's probably just knows he has such exquisite taste in everything yeah. and has eaten and drank the best everywhere, right? <laughs> so I could make him a cocktail and put it in front of him and he was like, that's delicious, mate. Like, I would just like go crazy. Oh, dear Simon <laughs> LeBon, please make your please, way to Grunge. Please come Commodore. to Austin. I'll make you <laughs> I a delicious cocktail. I for something. Oh, I hope this I actually emailed his, web, his like website one time <laughs> and because uh, like, yeah, Simon questions, you know, and I sent an email like, Simon, what is what is your favorite wine? Please name varietal. Um, what is your favorite cocktail? What's your favorite? Like, wow. And the response was just like, um, it was like, you know, this is like too personal or something. Like oh that. my god! <laughs> I wonder, is he sober? Maybe I, I don't know. I don't know, but like, I, know. I think that's great. I hope you get to do that. I probably should research that for asking him to come in and let me make a drink for him. Yeah, and it, what? Like, <laughs> I can make an NA drink too, though. Yeah, I, I love that. I like spirit-free cocktails as well. Yeah. Last question. Um, it, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. You're, you're, everything's taken care of, and you're just by yourself. What is the thing that you do? Read. I love to read when I have time. I, I like to read every single day, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of different things. Um, but when I'm able to just sort of have time to myself and you're, all the dishes are done and the laundry's mm -hmm. done and the kids are in bed and mm -hmm. work's taken care of and I just like to, if I have that time to just read as much as I want, that fear mm -hmm. of like being late for something, like that's a wonderful feeling. Is there a book you're reading right now? Yes. I've been really into Octavia Butler. Oh, yeah. Um, she's such a fantastic author. Um, it's it's definitely science fiction, but so, I mean, sci I love science fiction. It's mm -hmm. a great genre. Um, but she brings levels of philosophy and understanding of civilization to it that's just incredible and very, like, um, ahead of her time because, like, some of her books, she describes conditions in them or dysto dystopia future. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's just happening right, that's now. happening right now. <laughs> There's literally one book where she talks about how the, um, after the end of civilization, um, the leader of the of the what was the United States his slogan is make America great again and that was written in like the 80s wow so I think I know what I will be reading next so I'm currently reading her um Lilith's Brood trilogy which is just fantastic it's a mind blower that's really cool and tell me who um who in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is your spirit uh <laughs> hero oh um <laughs> I thought there was last question I forgot to ask you that one I you know I I kind of like the Hulk character. I mean, you're not the first person. He's not like that. my favorite, like visually or anything. Mm. But I really like the about him that like he's just holding in all this like anguish and <laughs> and I think it's like very like appropriate to like you know the the condition of modern modern human. It's like yeah. we're just containing all the stress and anxiety and emotion inside of us. Sometimes it just breaks free, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I hope I really hope that. I don't know, that you're able to get that more time with your family and take care of yourself. And I can't thank you enough for your, your time today. Thank like you for having me here. It's been wonderful. Oh, my gosh. So, Paul Finn, where can people find you? Um, I'm in Austin, Texas at Garage Bar most nights. So we're at Comoda Restaurant right next door, downtown oh. Austin. And on social media. On social media, I have an Instagram handle. It's PF underscore Finn. Mm -hmm. uh, PF underscore F-I-N-N. And that's my main that's my main source of uh, reaching me. Um, I'll eventually have a website for, for personal needs and plus, but that's still uh, forthcoming. Oh so. my gosh, I can't wait till you do that. We will, I will help you shout it to the rooftops. Yeah. So, thank you so much to you. Thank you to our producer Jennifer Martnick. Thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. Um, you know, we're on all the places you can get podcasts. We're on YouTube. You can find us on foodandwine.com. But if you're at a place where you can leave a review, those stars, those comments and stuff, they really, really help because they help us rise up in the, I don't know, people can see us and we can keep doing this podcast. And I, 
you know, I want to keep doing it. So I really appreciate it if you could do it or tell a friend to, to, um, to sign up for it, subscribe. Um, if there's somebody you would like for us to talk to or something you would like for us to cover, I'm easy to find. I am at Kitten with a Whip. Um, this is all part of Food and Wine Pro, which, you know, go to foodandwine.com and find out more about Pro. We have a fantastic newsletter that always has the latest podcasts in it, some life advice, some stuff about the industry, the latest news. It's, it's, it's a good thing, and you should sign up for it. Um, thank you for being with us, and take great care of yourself until the next time. <laughs>